to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby. Hello. And uh, joining me as always via the miracle of satellite technology, when he said I do, he never said what he did. It's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? I'm very well. I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say that that tagline is from So I Married an Axe Murderer. That's pretty close, man. You're on the right lines. It's from True Lies. Oh, that is really good. (laughs) It's a really good tagline. It's a very, very good tagline. Very, very good tagline. Although I think actually... Now I think about it, sorry, married an ex-murderer doesn't make sense because it's the woman in that marriage yeah. who's the killer, isn't it? Yeah, what were you thinking? Sorry, married an ex-murderer is a film I used to watch all the time as a kid. Mm. And I love that film. And I'm really scared to watch it now because it might be terrible. Well, I think it's it's probably pretty decent. That's during that weird five-year span where Mike Myers did good films. Yeah, like from imagine the... that. Imagine that. People won't believe us when we say that's, that actually happened. Yeah, some from around the early nineties through to no, around the day after the first Austin Powers opened, he could do no wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then since then, it's been a very long slide. It has been, yeah. Do you remember when he was kind of being touted for an Oscar for that? Like, was it was he in Last Days of Disco, or was it? Uh, it was a. Uh, there was two films out of the same for the same with the same kind of subject matter. There was Last Days of Disco, and then. Was it called Fifty Four about Studio Fifty Four? Yeah, he's he, in he's in Fifty Four. Ah, okay, yeah, that didn't really span out for him, did it? No, that's a film that isn't particularly good, and I think definitely seemed to be riding on the crest of trying to do a, a new Boogie Nights, but about real people as opposed to thinly veiled versions of real people, and not really working out too well. Although I've heard that. There's a director's cut of it that's been doing the circuit recently because it's one of those ones where the film ended up being butchered a little bit before it came out, and everyone said that it wasn't the new version isn't good, but it's a little a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I love that. It's not good. It's just a little bit more interesting. It's no uh, recut of, of of Touch of Evil. No, yeah, because that would be you know, giving it a bit too much. Like, what's the point in wasting the effort in, like, recutting something if it's just going to be a little bit better? Do you know what I mean? doesn't seem yeah. to make any sense. That's always why I thought that, as much as I like the amount of effort and time that went into the Alien Quadrilogy box set, purely in terms of, like, the making of details and everything, uh, the fact that they got Ridley Scott in to recut Alien and he just made it slightly shorter so mm. that they could say that there was a director's cut feels uh, very kind of uh, disingenuous because I think it was pretty apparent that he didn't think that film needed to be changed. Yeah, I like it that he made it shorter. It was just like, oh, actually, this, this original film wasn't that great. I'm just going to cut this bit out because I never really liked it. Mm. Uh, here it goes. Anyway, uh, let's get into the week's news. Uh, it's been a busy one. And uh, the one story dominating the headlines this week was the announcement of Indiana Jones 5. Now, with Disney buying Lucasfilm, this was something that was going to happen. We all assumed that perhaps uh, it would be a kind of a reboot with a new Indiana Jones. And, you know, we'd kind of see what we saw for Star Wars last year, a kind of reinventing it for a new generation. But no, we're going to get very much the same old shit. Uh, we're going to get Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford combining for a new film in two years' time. And I feel duty-bound to mention that Harrison Ford is old. Uh, because that seems to be the uh, rather obsessive tack that most people reporting this 
uh, are taking as if it hadn't escaped. You know that people's noticed that since 1980, Harrison Ford has got older. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very strange to kind of think that people are talking about that because the whole point of the last one that he was old was that he was old, and I guess you know it's going to be ten years later. So there's not really much more you can say about the fact that he's kind of old and there's going to be probably a huge amount of jokes in the film itself about how old he is. Uh, But considering how he barely made out of The Force Awakens alive, it seems, based on the fact he hurt his foot once, Mm. I I think anything that requires him to dangle from a whip is probably going to be pretty dicey. Mm. And no mention of Shia LaBeouf's involvement, which is a good thing, I guess. Or George Lucas's. Oh, well, that's definitely a good thing. But they have brought back David Coop. Yeah, who who do, did direct Mordecai. Yeah, in the in-between years. So he's not been slacking when it comes to adding terrible work into the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, I like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'll, you know, I'll go on record as saying I enjoy elements of Temple of Doom when it's not being kind of horrifyingly racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last Crusade is a kind of fun, I guess, in places. And then Crystal Skull is is pretty wretched. So I was kind of cool with them not making any more Indiana Jones films. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I was... When people were talking about the idea that there may be another one, this was obviously many months ago when it was kind of rumoured that a fifth one might be in the in the offing. Uh, I thought, oh, you know, a new one with a new Indiana Jones, that sounds like it could be fine. It wouldn't be Raiders because, you know, it wouldn't be Spielberg at the top of his kind of blockbuster game. It wouldn't be Harrison Ford at his most charismatic, but it could still be pretty fun. And so the idea of them going back to the well and doing it with the same team as made the previous not particularly good Indiana Jones film, but now them all being a little bit creakier. It doesn't exactly fill me with much excitement. The only really interesting thing about it for me is the... If you look at it in the context of Spielberg's current kind of plans, you know, he's done... His last three films, I think, were all nominated for Best Picture. They were kind of very Oscar bait kind of movies. I mean, I I really liked all three of those, those three being Lincoln, Warhorse, and Bridge of Spies, but they were all very much kind of what you would consider traditional awards season fair. Mm-hmm. And his next three films are the BFG ready player one. And most likely, uh, most likely Indiana Jones five. I think it's interesting that he seems to be as he, you know, enters his seventies, he seems to be swinging back to away from this kind of middle brow stuff to doing blockbuster entertainment. And I'm just wondering if he can, you know, if he still has the uh, the skills to pay the bills in that regard. Mm. I mean, I'm sure he could throw something together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, from Indiana Jones 4, it seemed like he weren't particularly that interested. Mm. It yeah. didn't really seem like a film that was put together with much kind of passion or interest. It seemed to be um, some very, very lazy action sequences um, that were kind of maybe taken from other films and kind of just wedged in, and they put Indiana Jones in it. I think someone said on Twitter, and I think it would be funny, that um, they should set it in the 1970s and follow uh, Indiana Jones as he goes to buy his ticket to go and see Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'd pay to see that, just to watch 
Harrison Ford react to himself on screen, and then the second half of the film is him having an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, it would kind of be like uh, Indiana Jones done by Franz Kafka. Yeah, or it could be uh, Indiana Jones and the New Nightmare. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, that is to come, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it in the next two years. Um, a big bit of news that we meant to talk about last week, we got slightly distracted by uh, the small matter of the All Saints Gangster film, is uh, The Screening Room, uh, which is a new initiative launched by uh, your man Sean Parker, who, for those of you who don't remember, uh, he ran a little website called Napster, which uh, was shut down because it was illegal and uh, caused him all kinds of bother. And he got to be played by Justin Timberlake in The Social Network, which was pretty good. But anyway, he's back. Uh, with a new venture called The Screening Room, which is um, you buy a set-top box, much like the one you have at home for watching television on, and it costs $150, and that allows you to be able to watch films as they come out at the cinema for 50 quid a time, which is quite expensive, but it also gives you two cinema tickets to go and see any film you do watch uh, in addition to watching it at home. The weird thing about this is that some of the cinema chains are in on this and they would receive a fee every time you buy the right to watch it at home. And we were going to talk about this last week because it was announced and people were saying, is this a good idea, is this a bad idea? But since we kind of didn't or forgot to talk about it last week, uh, lots of people have come out and said, hey, this is a good idea, this is a terrible idea. Uh, the uh, good idea people include Steven Spielberg. Um, and the bad idea in people include Christopher Nolan, who doesn't like anything non-traditional, we know that, <laughs> uh, and James Cameron, who uh, seems to be a man who likes new things, um, but he is very much against this. Yeah, I think he's against it because it's the one thing that could, it seems to be a big thing that could derail Avatar 2's chance of, you know, making a, a bomb at the, uh, or making a, a truckload of money at the box office. But yeah, I think the in theory, I think it's a great idea. I do think this gets to some of the stuff we've been talking about the the fact that the theatrical uh, experience is pretty bad now, and I think that a lot of people, given the option of being able to watch a film on day and date in their home, would choose it, and that would be good for a lot of people, particularly if they have good setups. But that that then eats into the you know the profit of theaters and this seems like the best way of keeping both halves of that dynamic alive you know you give people the chance to go and see a film in a real physical uh, theater uh, if they want to and then if people want to just watch stuff at home then that's there as well the problem is that's a really huge amount of money to watch a film in your own house yeah um, like I wouldn't pay $50 to go and watch a film in a nice theatre. I wouldn't go out for 50 So mm. I don't know why anyone other than kind of the idle rich would want to do that to just watch it in their own shitty living room. And you'd, you'd have to really pick and choose. I mean, imagine like dropping 50, 50 notes on watching like Gone in 60 Seconds or something. <laughs> like, cause, I mean, I saw that at the cinema because it was just like five quid or whatever. Mm. Imagine imagine dropping that as like a kind of, oh, do you fancy doing something tonight? Oh, let's see what's on at the cinema. And then watching that and going, Jesus Christ. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I saw, I went to the cinema today and I saw before 
the film I saw, I went that they showed the trailer for a film called Meet the Blacks, which is a parody of the Purge films. Right. A kind of uh, race orientated parody of the Purge films. And I got about 90 seconds into that trailer before I realized it was meant to be a comedy. Right. Okay. And I was just thinking now, imagine paying $50 to watch what from the trailer alone looks like a kind of a laughless dirge. Uh, you know, I think that would be enough to drive people to violence to to carry out the actual purge over, you know, wasting your money on something really, really terrible, which, um, you know, you still get angry if you have to pay to see that sort of thing. But if it's, you know, less than $10, you don't really mind so much. Mm-hmm. Plus, I, I can't help but feel that uh, I know that they've said they're going to put kind of huge piracy safeguards in place, but given how easy capture video capture is off anything these days mm. off your television in, you know, what's promised to be 4k HD surely can't be that difficult. Yeah. And even if you do put the best safeguards in place, you know, someone's going to crack that eventually because, and they'll be, cause there'll be a huge amount of uh, economic interest in having, like you say, a 4k, version of a film that you can just give to people for three which absolutely definitely will happen if uh, you have this set top box thing in place Uh, and then you can you can then like change the equipment to make the safeguards better but then the same thing will keep happening so uh it's it's a problem it's a system that is uh rhythm rhythm with laws yeah and i mean we know that people pirate uh, films that have been shot on a camcorder from the back of a cinema. Um, I dare say you could probably get a much better quality image off your television mm. <laughs> and also record the sound with your, you know, kind of prosumer sound kit uh, pretty well uh, straight from your television. Uh, so in anything, what they've done is they've kind of upped the quality of the canned films that are going to be floating around <laughs> the internet, which is, uh, I'm sure, exactly what they were wanting to do. Yeah, I wonder if people still feel like just out of deference to tradition, if they'll still feel they have to kind of hide the camera under their jacket while they're recording it. Just yeah. because that's the way their forefathers did it. Yeah, yeah, that honouring tradition, which is uh, is always nice to see. And that is what uh, like Christopher Nolan and James Cameron are so worried about, you know? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy the traditional piracy market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been a busy week for trailers as well this week. We're not going to talk about them all, but one... Uh, I feel kind of duty-bound to talk about is the new X-Men trailer, X-Men Apocalypse, which I think is the 413th X-Men film. And uh, I have to say that I'm really, really disinterested in seeing it, which I find strange because, um, as we talked about on the end of year show, maybe two years ago, uh, I absolutely loved uh, Days of Future Past. I was not expecting to like it because I hated X-Men First Class. Um, But I enjoyed the living shit out of that. I had a really good time with it. When I heard they're making another one, same uh, kind of crew, plus Oscar Isaac, I was like, man, this is going to be even better. But it looks terrible. And then they've released another trailer for it, which uh, kind of shows a bit more of, of Oscar Isaac's giant purple man. And that is not a euphemism for his penis. But yeah, his, uh, the character he plays looks really silly. And then they've put Coldplay over the top of the trailer, which uh, has that's like throwing a cold bucket of piss over me in terms of my interest. Yeah, I think I joked on Twitter this week about how 
uh, every so often I'll just remember the fact that the first Amazing Spider-Man has a scene in which Peter Parker skateboards to Coldplay and it may be the worst thing I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, I don't know why people feel Marvel plus Coldplay is something is an equation that anyone needs to make <laughs> and decide needs to happen. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I really, really enjoyed Days of Future Past, even though I also thought that uh, First Class was awful. And I they seem to figure out a way of doing the kind of the ridiculousness of X Men storytelling, but in a way that you know was actually fun and interesting to watch, as opposed to you know those Wolverine films, which were as ridiculous as the comics could be, but still weren't actually fun, or weren't like the first two Brian Singer films, which I I do like a lot, but they were very kind of drab and very uh, dedicated to making it seem like the X-Men is something that could happen in the real world. Uh, and this, I think, seems to delve into the ridiculousness in a way that could still work because, you know, Days of Future Past was a story that probably shouldn't have worked, but somehow did. But, yeah, it just seems like uh, the balance seems to be have shifted them to be off in this one. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, going back to Coldplay for a second, what are <laughs> kind of marketing executives think? Is this, is the, do they think that's what kids are into? Like, <laughs> put some Coldplay on it, that'll get the kids in. But no, yeah, it's. Uh, I kind of feel them much the same way as you. I kind of liked the first couple of X Men ones, but they, yeah, did try a bit too hard to ground it in some kind of reality, which it's not really what you want from a comic book. And yeah, I'm kind of. Yeah, I hope to be proven wrong, and I hope that, like, perhaps I've just been misled by this trailer, which is, you know, so often the case. But yeah, also this week, this is going to be a bit of a throwback to last week's episode, where if uh, those who listened uh, remember that myself and Ed, in mid-show, I remembered and Ed learned that <laughs> the band All Saints made a gangster film in the late '90s, early 2000s called Honest, and it was directed by. Eurythmics guitarist slash songwriter Dave Stewart. Now, I've tried pretty hard this week to get hold of a copy of Honest, <laughs> and it's proven much harder than I thought. But we did have a little bit of uh, uh, kind of encouragement from a friend of the show, formerly Mad Andy on Twitter, who got in contact to say that he's happy to report that I saw Honest at the cinema, me and six other people. So we know that at least seven people have seen Honest <laughs> and one of them has got in touch. If you or any of the others, please do tell us what it was like. I found a little bit on YouTube, but not enough. Uh, but yeah, I just, I desperately want to see that film so much. Yeah, you saying that there's seven people saw it and one has got in contact makes me, makes me worry that we're in a situation where six of those people are now dead. <laughs> yeah. the, the Honest killer has been tracking down the others over the last 15 years. <laughs> Well, you mean Dave Stewart? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's destroyed every copy, much as George Lucas wanted to do with the Star Wars Christmas special. And now he's getting rid of all the people who bought the tickets to that one screening. Mm. In fact, I'm pretty sure that uh, from memory, there's one of the All Saints that's not in it. Mm. And I think it might be Shaznay because she was in Bend It Like Beckham instead. And that was what and... really broke the band up. <laughs> that's what really drove a wedge between them. Uh, they just couldn't decide on which artistic project to go for. And 
by Gar, she chose correctly. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe she's the honest killer. <laughs> she was. She had to somehow cleanse the otherwise spotless record of All Saints. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Anyway, uh, we will endeavour to uh, to see that film before the year is out. But yeah, this um, and the success of Deadpool are our two ongoing uh, trends this year. Yeah, how how is how is Deb? Is it still going, Deadpool? Um, I presume it is. Uh, yeah, three hundred and forty million so far at the US, uh, bigger than Guardians of the Galaxy, and still going. Fuck me sideways. Uh, that you is... may have misjudged that one. Yeah, yeah, slightly undersold that. Yeah, we'll see what that ends on soon. I bet it's crap as well. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. This was I was it was one of the films I was going to try and watch this weekend. Uh, and I only managed to watch two of the films I wanted to watch, but those two were pretty good. So uh, I'm I'm happy That's not fair. to have seen it just yet. Okay, what are we talking about this week, Eddie? I mean, topic of discussion. Well, this will come as no surprise to anyone who's listening to the episode because it will show up there. But we're talking about uh, surprise and or secrecy in cinema. Hmm. Driven mainly by the fact that there's a new film out at the moment called Ten Cloverfield Lane which in a kind of incredibly rare turn of events appeared to get released and advertised and announced entirely in secret. Yeah, it was a film that existed on schedules, on, on release schedules as Valencia, or which was just kind of a very innocuously named film being produced by Bad Robot, who are J.J. Abrams' kind of company. Uh, and then suddenly three four weeks ago it was that a trailer dropped um i think attached to some film it may have been attached to deadpool actually the the first trailer was attached or it was attached to some kind of high profile film and uh then words started leaking out from early screenings like holy shit there's a sequel to cloverfield out there or something that looks like a sequel to cloverfield out there and it had like you say it had been made uh not in secret in the sense that it was it you know obviously people knew that the film was coming out but no one knew what it was and the first anyone really heard about the fact the idea that there was a cloverfield pseudo sequel was when the trailer dropped and that's you know an incredibly rare thing in a world in which people pour over the details of films literally years in advance yeah and we we I mean, we saw it a little bit and it's all coming from Abrams and Bad Robot again with with the Star Wars movie we remember we said last year that we were kind of excited because the film was about two weeks away and we still didn't know very much about it other than what we'd seen the trailers because they managed to keep production details so tightly under wraps and kept kept more of control on it than uh, any anyone normally would and details were scant uh, until about a week before when they were starting to release like 17 uh, TV spots a day, uh, which pretty much kind of showed the entire film in sequence. But uh, that is definitely an exception to the, the norm, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just in the last couple of years, we have seen kind of ter- particularly terrible examples of this. Uh, last year with Terminator Genesis, which uh, somewhat infamously in one of the kind of trailers that came out or one of the the last kind of big trailers that came out ahead of its release it revealed one of its biggest plot points i think we talked about at the time how wildly misguided that seemed to be to be taking something that actually 
looked like it could be quite an interesting spin on the Terminator story and the characters and then just saying, actually, no, we're just going to drop this in the middle of a trailer. And I don't know if the film would have been successful if they had kept that secret, but it was, they, there was definitely a sense that if they had kept some things back, at least there would have been more desire for people to actually see what it had to offer when the marketing basically left nothing to the imagination. Mm. And, I mean, the context of uh, all this as well, this episode probably should be that we live in probably the greatest time for kind of spoiler culture uh, with everything being so kind of instantly available and uh, kind of windows between people, other people seeing things and you seeing it are so small to the degree that most people absorb television now in a kind of a binge watching kind of fashion. I mean, it's kind of pretty prevalent at the minute with uh, the second season of Daredevil uh, came out, I think, Two days ago? Uh, yeah, Friday. Yeah, Friday. Uh, and, you know, the amount of people on my Twitter feed that I know who have seen the entire thing uh, in one or two days to avoid having it spoiled uh, is pretty remarkable. I mean, I haven't even kind of got around to starting it yet and probably won't for another couple of weeks. But it's kind of crazy that, like, people are putting themselves through that. I mean, I'm not saying that people don't enjoy sit down and caning a TV show in a couple of sittings or whatever. Um, but in a lot of senses, people are doing it because they don't want to have it ruined for them by someone on Twitter. Yeah. And I do feel that a huge part of the success of the force awakens over its opening weekend was driven by that. Mm. Cause there was definitely a sense that everyone wanted to see it before anyone could ruin it for them as happened to my dad uh who on the day that we were uh planning to go and watch it he was uh, at work my dad works in a liquor store here in florida and someone came in and said uh, oh i just went to see him the new star wars and my dad all my dad said to him was oh what did you think and he said oh it was okay and then he revealed which iconic character dies uh and then so my dad uh had it spoiled for him literally hours before he was going to watch it on like the second day that it was out mm. so i think a lot of people were trying to avoid exactly that happening yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh is that person dead now <laughs> uh I, i'm pretty sure i mean people have been killed for less in florida so yeah <laughs> he, it definitely feels like he should be dead um i imagine based on my dad's clientele he was probably fairly old and probably statistically probably is dead through natural causes at this point. Mm. I'm kind of picturing, you've told me this about your dad working at like a store and the clientele being quite old. I'm just picturing the kind of cigar store that Harvey Keitel runs in the film Smoke. Uh, there's just a kind of colourful group of uh, of kind of uh, eccentrics who come in and tell stories and your dad is the kind of like conduit for all their kind of uh, amazing kind of backstories. Is that true or is that wildly uh, kind of, uh, you know, out on a limb? I mean, it's pretty close if you replace backstories uh, for complaints about the president. <laughs> right. Then, yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, there'll be no complaints under President Trump. I'll tell you that. Do you know what I mean? Well, not not when he tight when he tightens up those libel laws. Yeah, exactly. And then the monkey overlords will come and uh, uh, march through town with their jack boots on. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that's got out of hand quickly. Um, <laughs> also, in terms of context of secrecy, we have uh, a bit of a thing going on in the music industry where it's becoming pretty exciting for an artist to just pop an album out 
Um, and, you know, some people have done it pretty uh, kind of notably. Beyonce did it. She's quite famous. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, Kendrick Lamar, who is a popular rapper, he did it. And that album's ace. And he just kind of just tossed it out on like midweek on a Wednesday or something. Yeah, I, it was. it's very interesting. Obviously, uh, like you say, we, we've named two people who are hugely successful and who are able to do it. But I do feel that it's interesting to see the ways in which the different, the music industry and cinema are both uh, in a situation where they both have, they have kind of in, uh, adopted or in the process of adopting the digital revolution through music's, on music side through, you know, uh, I, uh, Apple Music and Spotify and Tidal for the five people who use Tidal and uh, on the cinema side through VOD and on demand and things like that. But uh, there doesn't seem to be a structure in place for like a major studio to release a film kind of very suddenly mm. um, because of the kind of the marketing and things like that. You know, you, you could maybe see Netflix doing it. I think Netflix are the only outlet who would be kind of foolhardy and crazy enough to think about like producing a film in secret and then just releasing it out into the world and not caring how it does. Mm. But like in the kind of the music world, you know, the people like Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar are, you know, that is the most vital and exciting thing an artist can do if they are those two and not say Coldplay to rag on them a little bit more this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, it, it, the most exciting thing you can do is just one day announce, hey, there's a whole new album of material out there for you. Go check it out. Yeah. I suppose it is uh, much harder for, um, a film to be made in secret just logistically because mm. there's just so much more uh, on a practical level involved. Uh, I mean, technically speaking, uh, to to knock out a secret album, uh, you just need, you know, a producer, an engineer, a studio and a band. Uh, whereas a film requires, you know, dozens, at least dozens to hundreds of people uh, all working and, and kind of it's a, it's a big operation. Um, that is very very tough to do on a kind of on the down low, I guess. Yeah, the the only example I can think of of a film of a fairly high profile film. Obviously, Ten Cloverfield Lane is kind of a an example of how you would do it if you just make a film without telling anyone what the film actually truly is. You give it a name and you say the cast, and people say, "Oh, okay." And then they're only when you get ready to drop a trailer do you realize exactly the nature of the film that's been made. Um, but the only example I can think of a film that kind of did that was before Sir, before um, Midnight. Oh, yeah. Because that was a film that no one was expecting to get made. And the first anyone heard about it was when Richard Linklater, I think, or maybe even Hawke, said in an interview, oh, yeah, we've just filmed uh, the third before film. And it was like it took the world or at least the tiny kind of small, tiny part of the world that is super into whatever Richard Linklater is doing um, completely by surprise because no one was expecting that there was going to be a third film in that series. And then the first thing we hear about it is, oh, it's already made and it's coming out in the summer. Mm. Another example probably could be uh, where Joss Whedon's uh, Much Do About Nothing. Mm. Uh, was yeah. kind of, I mean, that was just done very, very quickly. I suppose it's, easy to do things under the radar if if no one's expecting them to happen uh, so quickly and and kind of uh, uh, in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I do feel 
like this is the sort of thing where maybe passion projects would be the easiest thing to do like if uh if netflix have an over uh an overarching deal with a creator for so many films and they basically say hey you know you can do whatever you like and they say okay well um i'll make you know a this is a bad example but you know like if adam sandler decided to follow up the ridiculous six with like a small black and white art film or something which obviously he wouldn't do although i would love to see him try um like that would be the way that you would do it is if like no one was expecting it and he just made this thing sort of really super cheap and quickly and then put it out there um but like that's kind of the scale you have to be working with to really keep it secret or to be um kind of an auteur working at a level where the only people who are going to be super excited about this are you know cinephiles as opposed to people who run kind of gossip sites uh you know no no one at slash film is kind of was breathlessly reporting on every day of shooting of everybody wants some yeah no they weren't but speaking of gossip sites that kind of segues quite nicely into the next point is there's an interesting kind of push and pull on the internet isn't there about protecting the kind of integrity of a film and uh protecting people from spoilers often from the same people who run very very spoiler heavy gossip sites Mm. Um, I'm uh, not ashamed to say that I do keep abreast of uh, Star Wars news on the internet. I dip my toe in every now and then. I do not go too deep into it because uh, you will kind of uh, go mad on there. Um, yeah, you don't want to Donny Brasco it. You do not want to do that. But yeah, you look on some sites and they're saying, you know, going to try and preserve spoilers. They'll warn people when they found out a bit of information or whatever. And then the very same site, the next article will be a 10 minute video from the set in Croatia where they're filming right now. Um, mm. And I was like, well, you can't kind of can't have it both ways. Yeah. And that is the problem I think of, of, and the reason why that particular strain of clickbait journalism has emerged because there is kind of a boundless appetite out there for people to know the kind of minute information about this film. They're really, really excited about and they want to kind of get this new information so that they can know about it and that maybe they can disseminate it themselves and seem like the most knowledgeable member of their, you know, group of friends who are super into comic book movies or whatever. But that is in, I would say 99% of situations to the detriment of the film in question, Mm. because yeah, you know, like I'm probably, I probably wasn't going to like, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice anyway because I don't like Zack Snyder and I don't like Man of Steel and I don't the, the idea of him tackling Batman fills me with dread you know so but I think I would be I would dislike it in principle slightly less if I didn't also feel like I know absolutely everything that's going to happen in the film because of people breathlessly reporting on it or tweeting out details about it, or even just the film's own marketing revealing similar to uh, Terminator Genesis, like showing that uh, what looks like doomsday is going to be in it and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I was fine knowing that it was um, Batman, Superman and Wonder Wonder Woman being in it. I don't need to know this. There's going to be this extra X factor in there. And then now in the, the lead up to it, Zack Snyder was talking about all of these other villains that were going to make cameo appearances and stuff like that. And you just think, 
I don't need to know any of this stuff. I just need to see the film. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to see that film, but you know, <coughs> if theoretically, if I was the sort of person who was looking forward to Batman v Superman, I would just need to see the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's been. I think it was Robbie Collin might have said something along the lines of movie geeks hate spoilers, but they also hate surprises, mm. uh, which is a fairly apt way in kind of, of, of thinking about it and uh, sums up what you're saying about Batman versus Superman uh, pretty well. I mean, I'm I'm kind of 99% sure that if I sat down to watch Batman versus Superman, I would be not really surprised by anything that's happening at all in there. Yeah, because they have left so little uh, up to chance. Mm. Uh, and it does feel as if... Um, and partly it is that every new trailer seems to reveal some extra part of the whole kissing caboodle that they've thrown in there because it does seem like a film in which absolutely everything happens. Yeah. Uh, and you wonder how it's ever going to function as anything resembling an actual bit of narrative storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that, like, uh, in you know the trailers that we have now, uh, that try and show as much as they possibly can, for me, don't work anywhere near as good as something like, you know, uh, Hail Caesar the other day saw the trailer for High Rise, and, mm. you know, that trailer, all that made me do is think, I want to see that fucking movie, because I have absolutely no idea what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, or, like, the, the example that I go to, and I think if we ever do an episode about kind of great trailers, this would probably be my... Um, my absolute kind of favourite, certainly of my lifetime, is the trailer for A Serious Man, mm. which uh, tells you nothing about what the hell is actually happening in the film because it's just repeating certain lines of dialogue and certain images over and over again in kind of a rhythmic fashion. And so it tells you very, very little about what is going on or who any of the characters are, but it tells you absolutely everything you need to know about the film's tone, mm. which is that it's incredibly stressful and unnerving and you're not entirely sure what's going on at any point and that to me is the kind of uh platonic ideal of a trailer one that leaves you with the sense that you want to see the thing because it looks intriguing but doesn't leave you as if uh doesn't leave you thinking okay based on that two minutes i can construct the entirety of this plot Mm. which a lot of trailers uh, do end up doing yeah i i would say whilst you know you know, you say let's do an like an episode on our favorite trailers. Let's do one right now. Um, <laughs> uh, mine for Magnolia. Uh, the very one of the very first trailers was uh, just each member of the ridiculous ensemble cast mm-hmm. uh, saying their character's name. Uh, it just zooms in on their face, and Tom Cruise will say, "I'm Frank T.J. Mackey," or uh, you know, uh, William H Macy will say, "I'm Quiz Kid Donnie Smith," and then that was the end. And all I needed to know was, this is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, it's called Magnolia, the cast is insane, and it's going to be wildly self-indulgent. Uh, <laughs> which, hey, that's what the film is. Um, and uh, I love that. Like that That's the kind of thing that makes me want to go and see a film, not uh, all of the action beats. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, pretty much, um, I'm just thinking I'm going to be seeing a truncated version of the trailer, rather than this trailer is a representation of the best of the film. Yeah, I mean, another example, and this is obviously going back a fair ways now, but the trailer for Psycho, I think, is a masterpiece of of trying to sell a film um, because all it is is six minutes or so of Alfred Hitchcock walking around the set 
and talking in his kind of very uh, macabre and kind of morbid way about all the terrible things that happen. Mm. And the thing is, when you watch it, obviously, like people watching the trailer for now, having watched the film and knowing what happens in the film, he is more or less telling you what's going to happen. He says where people die and things like that. But he's doing it in this way, which is so entertaining, which is kind of like saying like, and this is where the pellet, this is where the fellow fell. NASA yeah. business. You know, Isn't there a bit as well where he, he goes to the, to the, uh, the bathroom door and he just turns to the, the camera and says, Oh, the bathroom. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then just kind of moves on. Yeah, it's, it, he does basically do that, and that's the entire the tone of the entire trailer is essentially him just having these kind of funny little asides, which obviously plays on his well-established persona from his TV show, uh, which was uh, on the air at the time, and it's just it's just great. It's a wonderful bit of art in its own right, which tells you tells you what's going to happen in the film, but also has this kind of lovely little bit of misdirection going on in the way in which it's telling you. So you're more you're paying more attention to the funny things that Alfred Hitchcock is saying, as opposed to really paying attention to the fact that he's telling you, Oh yeah, this is where like the two deaths in the film are going to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose that uh, back to the top, the subject in hand, uh, that a lot of this problem with about revealing too much uh, also stems from the fact of something we've talked about before, which is uh, one in studios and, and, and kind of production companies, one in, uh, as many people to see the film as possible mm. and knowing full well that even though we live in an age where information is hurled at people uh, from all angles in every single stream possible, not everyone picks up on things and uh, to kind of carpet bomb the audience is the most efficient way of getting people to see a film. Mm. And, yeah. uh, you know, in a lot of ways, we're not really left with a lot of choice uh, you know, a studio is going to throw a lot of money to make sure that people understand that there's a film on and they should go and see it rather than being a bit more kind of picky and classy about the way they advertise it. Yeah, and I think it's also, and and that in part stems from the problem that there is now so much to distract people um, because there are, you know, Netflix and things like that. Uh, there's so much you know computer games you know i sound like i'm 70 year old 70 year old man um Mm. but you know that like there's there's so much media out there there's so many options that it takes a lot to really kind of break through and to make people kind of sit up and take notice and one way to do that is to try and be incredibly brilliant and innovative and do things like to, to go back to the original cloverfield to attach a trailer for your first trailer the first shot anyone has seen of your film onto you know transformers the 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 kind of most anticipated film of that summer for a lot of people and have people who are waiting for midlight screening be assaulted with this kind of disorientating uh handheld kind of uh burst of chaos as they're waiting to see something else and to kind of shock them into paying attention so you can try and be kind of brilliant and innovative or but you know not enough there aren't enough brilliant innovative people out there working in marketing because it's marketing and so the best thing you could the only thing you can do other than that is to just hurl as much as at stuff as at many people as possible and just hope that you get through to enough and um that works occasionally but also you get things like gods of egypt which 
did exactly that approach and was met with a thundering lack of success. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, del- a delicate balance act. That's what we've learned. Um, and I just wish they would kind of, uh, kind of balance a little bit more in the other, the other direction sometimes. Yeah. Be a bit um, more demure. Yeah. 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 Um, because uh, everyone likes that. They don't really want to have it, everything kind of jammed down their throat, I guess. Please take note, Hollywood Studios. We know you're listening. Um, and, you know, just class the joint up a little bit more and uh, have, have a little bit of a show and tell. Let's do recommends this week. What have you got, Ed? Uh, I have a documentary which I just recently watched. It's just been uh, added to Netflix once, uh, watching since I think this week. Uh, it's a documentary called Finders Keepers. Mm, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, it is a crazy story about a man who uh, goes into a storage locker that has been, uh, that the payments haven't been paid on, so they open it up and start selling the contents, and he buys a grill, and when he opens the grill, he finds a severed human foot in it. Uh, the foot belongs to someone, and that man wants it, wants it back. And it basically is about the long kind of legal and personal battle between these two men to try and determine who actually owns the foot. And the film reminded me a lot of, in some ways, uh, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, uh, which is no surprise because it's produced by Seth Gordon, who directed that film, in that it's about these kind of two larger than life, well, one larger than life guy and a kind of fairly normal guy who just happens not to have uh, both feet, uh, who are kind of put into this kind of weird... Uh, tussle against each other that plays out in kind of local media uh, and the, over the course of the film it kind of explores areas to do with you know the the nature of celebrity and class in America and addiction it touches on all these things fairly lightly so it's not a terribly deep watch but it is uh, very fun and it does have a kind of tabloidy quality to it not in the sense that it's like the errol morris film tabloid um which actually if it was more like it probably would be better Mm. but but in terms of offering up a kind of a crazy lurid story in and allowing you to kind of absorb all of the crazy details it is it is a tremendously kind of entertaining watch yeah i was very surprised by it because when i watched it i was like okay there's no way this is going to sustain more than 15 minutes of my interest Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you know an hour in you're like jesus there's so much more to this story to come and yeah it's kind of a pretty fucking wacky well it starts off with a man buying a barbecue with a foot in it and yeah it's weirder (laughs) from there um yeah that's a good choice and it's on netflix uh in uk as well as america so uh seek it out um, I'm going to recommend a website and uh, uh, subsequently an app. Uh, it seems timely. Uh, the, letter, the Letterboxd website, uh, which is a fantastic resource that I've been using now for about four or five years. Uh, if anyone who is like me kind of compulsively keeps a uh, diary of all the films they watch, uh, Letterboxd is a great place you can kind of like easily keep track of that shit. Um, and you can also make lists of films you want to see or that you have seen. And uh, you can generally kind of manage, you can follow other people and look at what they're watching and you can review films and rate films. And it's generally a good thing. But the reason I'm talking about it now is because from its inception, everyone's like, this is a good website. If only they would release an app 
because uh, using the mobile site on your phone was not actually that easy a lot of the time. Um, and guess what? Last week they did. And as a result, I'm recommending everyone use Letterboxd because it is a really, really good website that is uh, a really great way to kind of, even if you're not into, into keeping a diary uh, of what you watch, uh, it's a good thing to like follow other people and see what they're watching and what other people are kind of saying is good. Um, but do beware. Uh, some people are reviewing films on there that haven't come out yet, yeah. uh, uh, which is a little bit kind of, uh, you know, disingenuous, but easy to spot. Um, but yeah, it's a really good website and uh, the app is uh, a dream to use and it's free. So what are you waiting for? Yeah, I, I am also a long time user of that site and I have over the last year or so I've tried to and succeeded at uh recording every film i watch and also writing at least a few words on every single film uh which i think is certainly since i've started doing end of the month kind of uh movie journals where i just record like the 10 best films i watch the month that has made that a lot easier than just trying to remember all the good films i watched in a month it's easy just to go okay i gave that four stars that one goes on the list uh and yeah it's uh their app is just like so much more intuitive than the website is so it's nice they finally got on their act together and uh, given us a easy way of doing that that doesn't involve a lot of kind of messing around with two small uh, phone screens and two small options and two big fingers yeah, yeah. i mean they, they so far haven't solved that for me but mm. <laughs> one day one day they will chop <laughs> off my fingers and sand them down the eye finger will be released um, that's it's just a Brett remind- story. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's just reminded me of the eye brain. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the recommendation. <laughs> that's for another time. Everyone, everyone, look up uh, Brett Gelman's eye brain story. Um, uh, it is not safe for work, so do not listen to it in yeah. a crowded place. Which I did. Uh, on my, in my, <laughs> I listened to the eye brain story on my headphones um, whilst uh, in a crowded office when I worked in a in a kind of like a technical support job. And uh, the, for anyone who, like, I mean, I'm going to just say, please listen to iBrain without any previous knowledge. And the first four to five minutes of iBrain are kind of just tame. And then all of a sudden it goes south pretty quick. And <laughs> when it does, it does. So, and I mean, I had tea coming out of my nose. Uh, I was just kind of crying at my death. I hadn't even drunk any tea, which was, uh, <laughs> you know pretty kind of outrageous but yeah brett gelman's eye brain on the uh, as it was then it would have been comedy death ray back then wouldn't it yeah comedy death ray now comedy bang bang yes please seek it out uh anyway uh that's it this week for secrecy um i hope you've enjoyed the show thanks for listening as always you can find us on twitter on facebook on uh the kind of itunes please subscribe um and all the other good things uh we'll be back next weekend Uh, with something entirely different but until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me and goodbye from me